Go ahead. <laughs> we can edit this out. He's always like, he's just like. I was rewatching. <laughs> I know it's such, a, it's such a sneak. All right. All right. Welcome everybody back to Bar Talk, the Spirits and Beverage Podcast, uh, coming to you from the Relief and Resource Company in Fenton. I'm your host, John Foley, with my co-host Courtney Booms. Mr. Mark Miller, and we are, uh, as always, coming to you courtesy of iLogic Media, um, our production group. And uh, if you haven't checked out any of uh, the other iLogic Media uh, shows, it's an, um, an amazing amount of content that these guys put out, uh, anything from fantasy football to uh, stock market stuff, a lot of sports-based stuff. There's a history show. So um, if you're just joining it for our show, make sure you click on iLogic Media, um, social media, or on Spotify and check out some of the other content they have, which is really, really great. Uh, we should also mention before we get started that there is an online event uh, featured through uh, iLogic Media right now. It's called Fight for Sean. Uh, Sean is the stock market host of uh, the stock market show, excuse me, on iLogic Media and is uh, fighting pancreatic cysts. So there's a money fundraiser, um, an auction for, um, for him to benefit um, medical costs, et cetera. And there's some really great stuff in the auction. Uh, there's a Mayor Pingree 13 year old uh, bottle from Valentine Distillery. There's a couple of the RR uh, single barrel foolproof Weller store picks, one from 2019, one from 2020. Some other really, really great things. They're going to be um, auctioned off via live auction on May 8th at 3 p.m. So if you can join that, it's for a wonderful cause and you might get some really killer bourbon out of it too. So, uh, you know, please support that and check it out if you can. But we are on episode four. Yes. And uh, this episode is entitled The Rum Train. The Rum Train. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, term coined by Mark Miller. By me, uh, yes. Yeah. So in, in, in quick definition, the rum train essentially is, is when one finds himself in a situation where they're going from rum cocktail to rum cocktail. Um, and it's, I think, doubly apt because you've got this sense of inevitability where the rum train kind of is taking over and you're just a mere passenger on this journey. It Picks up a, speed every cocktail. Yeah, it can be a lot of fun. But really, it's a way to talk about our enthusiasm for rum in general and tiki cocktails, tiki culture, and um, again, shed some light on a spirit that I think is misrepresented in a lot of bars. Um, Definitely. You really see about three or four rums at most bars, which is, a, which is a real drag, and tiki cocktails are among the most complex and fun in the world to drink and talk about. So um, let's get... Let's get down to it. But first, I think we should break down rum styles. Yes. Yeah. You know, rum and rum styles, because every bottle of rum is very, very different. And it all stems from um, how they're made and historically the influences on each island and, and how that results in the style of rum that comes from, say, Barbados or um, Panama or Martinique or Jamaica, any of the other any of the places that produce rum. So. True enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, every island has its own rules regarding distilling, um, bottling, finishing, and so there's like a huge variety. So the kind of um, short end of, of classifying each rum would to say English style rum, uh, Spanish style rum, and French style rum. And those three classifications are coming from colonial influence of Caribbean islands, um, which is where we're focusing. There's also world rums, you might call them from say like the Philippines or something like that. Spain. But, 
Spain. Yeah. India is fantastic. Yeah, we have, an, we have Indian rum here. Oh, the Old Monk. Yeah, yeah. very good rums. Yep. Um, outside of that, but to just put a smaller scope on it, I think we'll start with the Caribbean. So um, sugarcane was domesticated in uh, New Guinea in like 8,000 BC, so super early on. Um, it's been used in Asia forever as well, mainly India and China being the ones to process and refine it. And then it moves into the West. Um, you get Portuguese uh, uh, sailors bringing it to the Caribbean though. So, um, and Spanish technically too. Columbus brought over sugarcane from uh, the Cape Verde Islands. Um, and then also from One the One of Canary the things Islands. he was successful at. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like- <laughs> He got that part right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Most people with a proper understanding of history don't have to. We don't have to elaborate that that much on. No, but it's Columbus, a good excuse to drink rum on Columbus Day. Sure is. Yeah. Amen and hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, so the Portuguese traders bring it into the islands. Dutch traders bring it into the islands, and um, they kind of get a good start. Um, they start themselves off in, in Guiana, where it's very fertile and rich um, soil, and then they begin to process and distill it. Um, I should say that actually the majority of the earliest sugar spirits was created not by the planters, but by the slaves that the plantation owners brought in. Mm -hmm. um, and that is inherent in rum history. Um, it's part of the Atlantic triangular trade. So mm -hmm. um, as much as uh, rum is to be enjoyed it, in its history, you do have a little bit of um, kind of solemn thought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's some good books on, on the history of rum that really delve into that. Um, there's one I think just called the English writer who writes a book on each spirit. It's just called Rum. David Broom. David Broom. That's a really nice book. He does a really great elaboration into yeah. that part of the history as well. Yeah. Um, and a bottle of rum uh, is another one that I think, narratively speaking, isn't that great of a read, but the historical stuff is pretty good. Um, there's some editorialization by the, the author that I'm not a huge fan of, but the history of Island Island stuff is pretty great. They touch on that um, fairly well in Smuggler's Cove as well. Um, Fantastic book Named book. after a tiki bar. And the focus is indeed on tiki bars and tiki pop, but they have a good history section of that book as well. That's a, that's a book that I think is a top 10 book, like must own bar book for your library. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, in the Caribbean, plantations are built and over uh, from the from the Dutch influence about 40 years, they're starting to colonize a lot of those islands and even into parts of Brazil where you're getting like things like cachaça. But the other three that I mentioned, they basically start to move in and take over those other islands and kind of part them out into their own style. So the British um, influence, uh, they come into Barbados in 1627. Um, it takes about two islands for that particular island to start producing rum on a large scale, and it does end up becoming Britain's wealthiest colony in the 17th century. Um, when those soils get overworked, they move into places like St. Kitts, Nevis, uh, Montserrat, Antigua, and then Guyana, uh, Guyana that I mentioned before, which becomes Demerara under the British rule. Um, and then the absolute most uh, kind of notable colony that British taken is the uh, is Jamaica, excuse me. And um, they do temporarily take Martinique, Guadalupe and Cuba during the Seven Years War. But I'll explain later that those islands uh, are more French and Spanish. And, and if you're stuck in your bar and you're just going from Barbados, Guyana and um, Jamaica, you're going to stock some incredible rums. And like you great... could almost stop there, but you shouldn't. But there's, <laughs> right. there's fantastic, uh, amazing, worldwide important rums from all yeah. those islands. 
Yeah, and, and English style rums are, are primarily made from molasses, so they get a lot of that like dark, bold, spiced or aromatic flavors to them. Yeah. Um, but you still get a wide range between each of those islands because um, uh, sugarcane is, of course, a grass, which means that the terroir or the like natural resources that influence the way that it's grown um, can vary from island to island uh, by huge jumps and leaps. Yeah, I mean, Jamaican and Barbados rums are almost... It, it, it's a very different comparison. It's like a sweet, a very syrupy sweet almost versus like a funky spicy. Yeah. And so it's like Guyana or Demerara versus Jamaica. Um, and indeed, those Jamaican rums, they, they are distinct for those funky flavors and profiles. They get a lot of like overripe banana, woodiness, spiciness. Um, it comes from the, the way that they're making it. And it's typically pot stilled, um, which is like the slower, older version. It's going to bring um, like less of that like over over what do I want to say not as clean maybe as yeah. if you were going to charcoal filter it or even the column stills a lot faster so well, that was the reason they, they moved anyway and, and started yeah. doing that was to to get rid of supposed impurities but you also can lose flavor exactly yeah because yeah, in pot stills you get more of was it Con congeners congeners yeah. 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 So the, the alcohols ethyls ethers those things that are actually bringing the flavor from right. yeah. either the fermentation process mm -hmm. or post in the barrel um, if they end up being barrel finished which so, can add a great deal of character yeah huge Absolutely. Yeah. yeah um examples of british style rum are hamilton smith and cross ray and nephew mount gay mount gay dr Bird is yeah. Jamaican, yeah. but finished in Michigan. Appleton. Mm -hmm. Eldorado. Oh, yeah. Lemonheart. Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who is aware of rum to any degree should probably know that it has a huge root in the British Navy as well. Um, very strong relationship. Uh, the British Navy turned to drinking daily drams of, of rum. The tots. Of course. The, the, yeah, the great British tots. Yeah. Um, it's 17... 39, Vice Admiral Sorry. Edward like that word? Vernon. Tots just made me think tots? of Napoleon Dynamite mm. when he's got the tots in his pocket. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> but you could you could have tots just with your tots. You could have tots with your tots. Yeah, so if you've had too many tots, you just warm up some tots. <laughs> Pop them in the oven. You'll have a snack. Pop them in the air fryer that you got on your navel ship. Sure. Why not? Why not? <laughs> Vice Admiral Edward Vernon, uh, while also possibly recommending potatoes fried, um, <laughs> also, Absolutely. Just said he wanted everyone to have a restive, uh, restorative daily allowance of a half pint every day to be mixed with a portion of a quart of water, a half pint of rum, already mentioned, and in two servings a day, adding fresh lime juice to fight scurvy and sugar to make it palatable. So the dude invented the daiquiri. He technically kind of invented the daiquiri. Yeah, this would have been pre um, the kind of Cuban craze of cocktails where the daiquiri kind of forms its, its yeah. biggest stem. Which but. is absolutely a, a top five most important cocktails historically ever. Yep. 100%. Ever. Yeah. Um, the naval tradition unfortunately ended on July 31st, 1970, after 230 years of celebrating <laughs> daily rum rations. Daily yeah. rum rations. Daily rum rations. And those guys were pissed. <laughs> Not only were they pissed, they were pissed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, hard, it's a hard, hard thing to recover from. There's a lot of um, retired naval uh, clubs that will still actually collect with each other. Probably not right now, but used to in um, pubs, on that day in pubs on that day to celebrate. Well, not to celebrate, I guess, but to drink a tot. Anyway, in remembrance. Yes. Um, so that kind of covers. It's a all black armbands, <laughs> navy grogs. <laughs> Old Jenny boy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good for them. 
Um, so that covers a good part of the uh, British influence. Um, so the French influence, French shuttle Martinique in 1635, so a little while later, um, they formulate the rum style known as rum agricole. Um, the gentleman, if you want to look him up, is uh, Pierre-Jean-Baptiste Lebet. Um, he's got a very interesting, weird history, so I won't delve into that right now, but you should look him up if you'd like to. Um, they started with rum agricole, and they started with other rums kind of more similar to, say, the British style of rum that I was describing, but um, a huge amount of things kind of happen in their regions of the island. So there's the Seven Years' War, which I mentioned before. There's also um, Napoleonic backlash, a lot of civil unrest, and then just en masse flight away from those islands of any of the white colonists that were there. Um, so the production goes down a little bit, but later on, um, especially during the outbreak of the Ojum mold and phylloxera, which we mentioned on the, at least the second podcast, possibly the third podcast as mm -hmm. well, um, it devastates the wine and brandy production. And so as alongside whiskey, um, French drinkers start looking for rum. And um, in that time, Martinique becomes uh, a top exporter, in, exporting, excuse me, over 6 million gallons of rum. Um, over the course of like just a few years. It's a massive amount of rum. It's a huge amount of rum. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that happens where they kind of lose production in the French islands for a while is in 1902, Montpellier erupts and actually destroys St. Pierre, which is the capital of uh, Martinique. And so um, those that industry goes into retreat and you get these very small amounts of distilleries in comparison who just specialize so um, distinctly on rum agricole that it is now the definition of French style rum. You will also find um, on rum ag agricole bottles specifically, the alternate spelling of rum, R-H-U-M. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Oh, I stole yeah. it. Yeah. So it's yeah, if you're like a novice you. going into like a liquor store and you yeah. want to try and like search out rum agricole, you can tell it immediately I mean, yeah. by that. Exactly. R-H-U-M. And then there's the Spanish spelling, which is Ron. Ron, yeah. Ron, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and uh, specifically with, with agricole, you're looking at Martinique and Haiti. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So rum J.M., rum Clement, and uh, uh, rum barbacore from, yes. from Haiti, which is really affordable, really funky, cool, um, budget Haitian rum. Yeah, it's delicious. It's made from sugarcane juice. So by doing that, like the fresh pressed juice instead of the sugar itself or the molasses itself, you get a lot more of those herbal qualities. That rum can often come out drier, less sweet than you'd expect. Um, very intense terroir flavors. Um, and you'll get sometimes citrus, sometimes chamomile. Um, some have like a slightly sweet grass flavor and they are perfect for the tea punch. Absolutely. It's a great drink. It should, we should also mention that um, some of the rum agricoles uh, that are represented in Michigan, specifically Clement and uh, uh, JM are in danger of being pulled from the Michigan market because they're not necessarily performing as well as people don't really know what they are. Agricole is an unfamiliar um, product to a lot of people. So if you see these bottles, seek them out and buy them because we want the stuff to stick around. Um, and the only way that is done is if there's support from the market. So if you've never tried them, go out and try them right now. Um, one of our favorite people in the rum industry is uh, Melissa Pinkerton, who represents these products uh, to the state of Michigan. And uh, she reached out. We actually bought some extra stuff. So come on in and try it or go somewhere and try them. They're unlike any rums that you've ever tasted. Yeah. But Just, the yeah. JM 110 proof white rum is the gnarliest thing you'll drink. It's <laughs> delicious, but it's super weird. Super yeah, gnarly funky. in a good way. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like most funky rums so, are. Yeah. Cheers, Mosa, if you ever listen to this or watch yeah. it. We're, we're trying for it. <laughs> this is a public service announcement. It is, Please yeah. drink more rum. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you talk about the tea punch, though? The tea punch, yeah. It's a so. cool drink. I mean, it's 
it's so specific to region. Yeah, so it's um, originated on uh, the island of Martinique. And uh, it's a super simple uh, cocktail, basically just uh, rum agricole. Um, uh, usually the sweetener is like pure cane syrup. And then uh, just a little squeeze of a, a, like a lime coin in the bottom mm. of it, to just add a little bit of citrus. Because you want as much pith as you do. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If not more than. Stir juice, it yeah. up, put it on ice. But the way that they do it in Martinique is actually pretty cool because they'll bring all the ingredients uh, table side, like if you're eating at a restaurant or something. On a bar cart. On a bar cart, yeah. yeah. And they'll basically let you design your own tea punch, how you like to drink it, design it. And um, the French translation, which we've talked about before, is each prepares their own death, mm -hmm. which is what they tell you as you're making the tea punch to yeah. decide. So. Which, which uh, if you look at like, the pageantry around drinking yeah. worldwide. That's one of my favorite, yeah. favorite super, ones. Super cool little uh, Absolutely. Cafe factoid. Yeah. Cafe Huge amount of pageantry, very yeah. cool to do table side yeah. of yeah. And the tea punch uh, specifically uh, has to be rum agricole. Yes. Yes. It can't be made with any other kind yeah. of rum. You change it, it's, you can't call it's that really else. anymore. Yeah. yeah. And it comes from uh, the French petit punch, which is, you know, small uh, punch, basically. So, mm -hmm. yeah, single serving. Big fan of the, the uh, Rum JM uh, VO in the yes. AT punch. Yeah. See, I, I like just the yeah. base, like Clement Select Barrel, I think makes probably my favorite tea mm -hmm. punch personally. Mm -hmm. But yeah, super simple, super great. If you if you like uh, like old fashions or Manhattans or cocktails along that similar, you know, vein, you would probably enjoy the tea punch quite a bit. So, yeah. yeah, it's weird. It's like a deconstructed daiquiri that you make like an old fashioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So if you've never had one, come in and try one because oh. they're great. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, Spanish. Spanish rum. Uh, Spanish came into the Caribbean originally looking for precious metals instead of like space to grow agricultural products. Um, so they take a very long gap in between what we see from the British rum and the French rums. It's like about 300 years actually. Um, it wasn't until the British had captured Cuba uh, for 11 months during that Seven Years' War that they actually bring in equipment to even distill rum. Um, and the only reason why they keep it up is because when Spain takes it back, they just noticed how much money they were making from production and then uh, export sales as well. Um, Sugar equals money. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the whole entire context of this, of this historical conversation. Incredibly true. Yeah. Sugar yeah. is a huge, um, people follow sugar historically as well. Yep. Like, so where it's grown, you'll see a lot of people either invading that place to take the sugar or um, something. It's a much longer story than we have time for, though. So um, <laughs> the Spanish influence uh, is mainly uh, in Cuba um, and then Central and South America. Um, you will also get it in um, like Puerto Rico as well. Um, the arguably most famous rum that comes from Cuba was started by a Catalan uh, immigrant, uh, Facundo Bacardi Masso, or Bacardi. Mm -hmm. um, he was working with an English distiller by the name of John Nunes, um, and they founded the distillery, uh, and they wanted to like make a rum that was different than the rest of the rum in the Caribbean, so they actually were also the first proponents of a charcoal-filtered rum or a light style of rum, either not barrel-aged at all, lightly barrel-aged, and then filtered. Um, what that means is it produces like very softer or like mellow flavors. It's sweet, but not that sweet. It might have some spiciness or barrel funk, but it, you're only getting a very light amount of it. Imminently mixable. Yes, mm -hmm. which yeah. is why I think too that that's why those like um, post-prohibition cocktails, when people just, American bartenders just like flood Cuba in mass to either save their jobs or um, because they knew that their that spirit was still allowed mm -hmm. there. Um, so inspired specifically cocktails like the daiquiri, El Presidente, Floridita, Hemingway, um, and all of those are mixable with 
sugar and citrus. Citrus. Yeah. Right. So I think both of you guys got to taste the the old bottle of Bacardi that we had come in here. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yes. We were lucky enough to um, uh, one of our patrons, uh, uh, John Cohen, found a bottle of. Well, he and I found a bottle in a basement of um, pre Castro Cuban Bacardi, which was still good. Yeah. We opened it and tasted Castro. like it tastes like candy. Yeah. Like it was, like it was real good. Werther's <laughs> and caramel. Yeah, like yeah. yeah was... The longer it sat, the more the sugar like concentrated, and it was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And there are some programs out there in the world. Like if you have the coin to spend on them, and you're traveling, there are places that have vintage rum collections that are it will blow your mind. Um, as far as all old spirits, I think vintage rum is probably pretty easy to come by. And if you if you're near a bar that has curated a, a an old rum collection, it would totally be worth trying if you if you've got the money for it. Having tasted really old rum like that, now I just want more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned it was pre, so Cuba has this influx of, um, of communism. Um, and uh, Bacardi actually does flee Cuba in time, um, just, just outside the rise of Fidel Castro. And he has already purchased land in the Bahamas and Puerto Rico. And today, Bacardi rums are actually produced from several locations and then post blended. Mm -hmm. um, Puerto Rico was the other island that I mentioned um, that has that Spanish influence. Most Puerto Rican rums are blends of other islands' rums added with sweeteners. Um, so you get like a lot of spice rums from there. Um, and then they'd also use previously quick aging techniques. Um, so even though the, the climate of the Caribbean, the kind of tropical humidity and all that stuff means that a lot of barrel aging can go super quickly. Um, so like one year in the Caribbean can be about three years for a place like Kentucky where it gets cold as well and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, Which is why you can get some rums with age statements, like the higher age statements for really affordable prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so they, they also ended up using quick aging techniques by treating the barrels with calcium permanganate or hydrogen peroxide. So it just dries the wood out even more so it absorbs more of that, um, more of that rum. And then, you know, through a process of osmosis releases flavors as well. Um, but over time that kind of found was found to be not as favorable, um, but it's just something that sometimes is still used in Puerto Rico today. Most of the Spanish style rum gets the gets a huge portion of its flavor from um, barrel aging processing now, um, and not with the permanganate, but just from sourcing really great barrels or just willing to let it sit in a really long time, sit in the barrel for a really long time, or using the Solera process, um, which is one of Probably all of our favorite styles of Solera of, of aging, excuse me. It's a, it's yeah. It's pretty cool. Just yeah. consistency. Illuminated. You know. Yeah. So Solera method. Um, so Solera comes from the Spanish word suelo, meaning floor, um, or a more literal literal translation would be tradition, which is kind of cool. Uh, basically, what it is is it's a style of barrel aging where basically stack up the barrels in kind of like a triangle or pyramid shape with your top level being the new juice that you're putting into a barrel to be aged and your bottom level on the, on the very floor level being the oldest uh, rums. And what they'll do is, you know, every six to nine months or whatever, they, they will saka or sakar. Uh, obviously, you know, I don't have the greatest uh, accent to pronounce it correctly, but uh, what it means is basically to draw out. Uh, so they'll go from the top level, they'll draw that into the second level, second to third, third to fourth, and then the fourth level or at the bottom most level, they'll bottle. So the cool thing about that is it's, you're able to make more consistent rums uh, throughout the years, but you're also able to make 
older rums consistently as well, because that bottom level will always have what they call the mother rum, which is the first rum, obviously, that they put in the top barrel. And so obviously, progressively, it'll, you know, be older, more consistent. And uh, you see it a lot with uh, wine, um, sherry as well, I believe. They actually do it with vinegar, too. Mm -hmm. And... Um, did I say scotch already? No, you didn't, but I was yeah, going to mention scotch. Some, <laughs> scotch uh, is the main one, yes. Ardbeg uh, Ugadol yeah. is pretty much made that way, yep, yep. which is one of the greatest Iowa whiskeys yep. in, the, in the world. The Glenfiddich uh, 15 is yeah, Solera. That sounds great. And rums you're looking at that do the Solera method like that, um, the main ones are going to be uh, Zacapa, Zaya, and then uh, Papa's Pilar as well. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, and the, something to note about the Solera method, too, is that um, if there is an age statement on the bottle, it's going to be the youngest liquid that's in there. Same with scotch. Something that you can, yeah. you can pretty much put that in the bank for anything with an yeah. age statement. Yep. Yep. So there could be, you know, if it says it's a 23 year old rum, there could be 40 to 50 year old rum in that yeah. bottle as well, or eight year old rum, you know, right. because of that, that process, Solera process of blending the barrels all together. So mm -hmm. that's Solera for you. That's, that's Solera. Solera. Yeah. The more you know. And, that, and you mentioned, too, the Spanish-style rum lists the age that it's like the average age of the rum or the youngest at, at most yeah. in the barrel. Mm -hmm. um, French-style rums are often labeled the way that cognac is, so it's not a specific numerical statement, but they might say, like you mentioned, right? Yes, VSOP, yeah, VO. VO, VSOP. Yeah. And then English is, uh, they're always going to list the youngest rum on the blend as well, just as a side note there. But yeah. I don't know if I mentioned it, but Spanish style rum is typically um, column distilled. And because of the aging, they're often just really sweet, super smooth. Um, I often treat them like I would whiskey. So I'll drink it neat or sometimes yeah. on mm -hmm. ice. Um, but it does not need a lot to be added to it. No, especially some of your some of your older ones and your higher end ones like Ron Navazos, uh, Ron Zacapa, Ron Abuelo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even, even for the kind of 12 year. I mean, these are really, really beautiful rums to just sip on their own. Or basically, like even the Eldorado eight year, you could sit by itself. I mean, they're twelve sure. and fifteen. Yeah, Eldorado British style. Yeah, are fantastic. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, even the eight year. I think. But so we've 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 talked a little bit about this, and you you know from the the distillation history that Courtney just gave us that you're producing rums that that taste different and have different styles. So mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about rum in general, especially in terms of cocktails, is that you don't have to use rum the same way you would use gin or whiskey. In a cocktail. Um, if I make an old fashioned or Manhattan, I'm using one bourbon and one rye. If I'm making a martini, obviously I'm just using one gin. With rum, what you see, I think, unlike almost anything else, you see split bases. You see two or three or four rums layered into a cocktail so that they all play off of each other. And that is something that creates amazing complexity in a cocktail. And you can really only do that well with. Absolutely. Rum. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you like you can have like your base, like one or one and a half ounce of your base rum. But I like to add like maybe a little bit of like Jamaican funk, so like a half yeah. ounce of Jamaican just rum, or just like an, as an accent. No. Too, yeah. You know? I love using a richer Spanish style rum or a Demerara rum in conjunction with a Jamaican. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or, a, or a Haitian or, or agricole yeah. rum, just because you, you get you can have a, like a baseline of, of sweet roundness mm -hmm. and then also um, add like funky accents to yeah. to the drink before you start putting on sugar and, and mm -hmm. citrus. 
And we kind of started doing this thing at uh, at R and R, where we'll try to like you know one of us is sitting down after a shift having a drink. We'll be like, just make me like a slapping daiquiri. Slapping daiquiri. And so we'll like challenge each other to make you yeah. know like the weirdest, funkiest daiquiri. Yeah, we can. And yeah. it's a fun time, honestly. <laughs> it really is, and you can just get so many different flavors that play well with rum. Um, yeah, almond. Uh, orange passion fruit, passion fruit. Yep. that's a great combination. Yep. Obviously, pineapple. Yeah, uh, one that I found recently is a uh, cinnamon grenadine. Yeah, 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 they're friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. a little bit oh, of mango in there. Yep, yep. Um, you can blend your citruses the same way that you blend your rums, and yes. often find more. Like, yes. so if you don't want it quite as tart, throw some lemon in with your lime and Maybe yeah, I like the lime quarter ounce grapefruit. Pull. Yeah, yep. grapefruit is yeah. one I like to pull myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love passion fruit pineapple. Together, so like pineapple oh, cordial and passion fruit. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Oh, and banana. The we recently like got banana liqueur that's yeah. really, really interesting yeah. to mix, especially with Jamaican rum, to highlight that overripe banana flavor yeah. that it has. It's also if, the. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. It's no, the yeah. basis of um, the fame for most of the people who know a lot about tiki, tiki clubs, tiki bars that got started off. So Trader Vic's, um, Don the Beachcomber, Con Tiki, all of those. That was. That was the reason why they got to the fame and popularity that they got to, alongside the kitsch that was like all around and stuff too. But yeah, but these people created not just the culture and the in the kitsch. They they created this methodology, these templates for building some of the most complex and original cocktails in the world. Yeah, and that also sure. happened to be really really fun and really really strong. And they were really super like super secretive about it. So yeah. Um, yeah. there's a there's a cocktail historian Jeff uh, Beach Bumberry who was the one who was able to like decode a lot of the stuff that was from yeah. Trader Vic's and Don the Beach Like Comer. the Don's mix. And exactly. Don's mix, yeah. And that's, yeah. it literally had to be decoded because you would not get, you would get nothing out of his past bartenders or from him, from Trader Vic's. Yeah, so like to the point where his bars were buying the mixes from like a commissary. Yeah, yeah. And so they themselves. didn't even know what they were buying. Yeah. They just knew that they had to put like, you know, a half ounce of that in a drink. Right. Um, but I think tiki cocktails would be a great podcast for the one just on the cocktails yeah, yeah. yeah probably yeah we'll probably, probably do a, a rum train part two at some point well how, there's not just one car on a train Rum train part two never yeah, we're just we're just right here we're not that's very we're not true. gonna stop rum podcasts we're that's all in the caboose and you've fallen off <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, screaming, guys, we're screaming off the back like no just run for it <laughs> grab my hand <laughs> Yeah. Just leave me behind. I'll be okay. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> as long as I have a zombie in my hand while I've fallen off. I was just going to segue into what I'm, I've got the zombie going right here. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm the little cheeky guy. Wonderful. I went with um, zombies typically have three rums in them. I went with a base of Demerara, mm -hmm. uh, a secondary of uh, uh, Jamaican. Jamaican, yeah. Yeah, and you got to finish off a little bit of overproof. Overproof, always. Yeah. A word about tiki cocktails, folks. Be careful with them. They're extremely <laughs> strong. Tiki cocktails, because of the way they're built, because of the complexity of the sugar and the citrus that goes in them, um, can mask alcohol content in a way that no other cocktail can. They can right, drink right. like juice, but have you yeah. on your ass yep. very quickly. Yes. Which is factors again into the rum train idea that, you know, once that train gets going, you it picks up stop. speed, you yeah. can't stop it. <laughs> Eat the food, take your time. Yep. Um, yep. It, it would be questionable to serve somebody more than got two zombies if they weren't eating. Uh, the yeah, second zombie is a really yeah. dangerous thing. Yeah. yeah. That is the whole reason why it is the nomenclature for the drink is the zombie. Yeah. After two, I think the limit actually at Don the Beachcombers was two. Yeah. You could not have more than that because you would be walking out like a zombie, half dead. 
arms up, eyes closed. Yep. And maybe we can expand upon this more in, you know, the, the tiki cocktail episode if we do it, but not all great tiki cocktails are necessarily rum-based either. That's exactly that right. That's also true. Yeah. yeah. Because we're, I know we're putting one on our upcoming menu, which comes out uh, when this airs, will be coming out next it'll, week. It'll be out. Yeah. yeah uh, but the Winchester, which we've all kind of latched on yeah. to, is an entirely gin-based. Well, Saturn, too. Saturn is as a well. gin-based yeah. cocktail. Yeah, yeah. And you've got... Yeah. Um, Suffering Bastard. Yeah, which is... A, yeah. Which is, or yeah, Brandy. Or Brandy. Brandy. Yeah. 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 And then you've got like bourbon tiki sours and port lights and stuff that yeah. use, they yeah. use whiskey. So think of tiki cocktails almost as like a, like a philosophical idea on how to build a cocktail mm -hmm. that rum works traditionally great with, but then you can also use that template to do Absolutely, yeah. other things with. Yep, yep. Well, John's got a zombie. What do you have, Mark? So I am doing, for you who you all who are watching the, the video version of this, I'm doing a simple daiquiri. I like to do mine on a rock, but normally they're served up. Uh, I did mine with an ounce and a half of uh, Solera rum, actually. And then I did a little half ounce of Smith & Cross Overproof Jamaican rum, because why not? And then uh, just your staples of lime, simple syrup, and a dash of Angostura bitters. That's the way. Makes a damn good daiquiri, I think. What are you drinking on, Booms? I have a Navy Grog, so it's the more citrus variety. I also brought my own I'm say, show that to the home. camera, because that is a ridiculous yeah, if yeah. you can see on the video, it is uh, an undead mermaid. My guy's looking at it and walking away feeling real, real sad. <laughs> And mine's just like, whatever, dude, I'm in a glass. <laughs> it's glass, it's glass. No, I got it at a Three Dots and a Dash in Chicago, so it's a very well-known Fantastic bar, more bar. modern yeah. style, but still amazing stuff that they got going on there. Um, the Navy Grog is, uh, it's three, three bases of citrus, three bases of rum, and honey, so it's like really well-balanced. Mm -hmm. I, I put white rum, gold rum, and um, a little bit of overproof, and then it's grapefruit, lemon, and lime, and like I said, honey, so it's really well-balanced, sweet and tart. I find uh, the Navy Grog is actually a really good tiki cocktail for someone who wants to drink a tiki cocktail but doesn't want something overly sweet because, like you said, it's super it well balanced. Dry, yeah. right. It has more citrus aspect to it than some other tiki drinks do. The so. amount of citrus cancels out and yeah. that overly sweet. Uh, Hemingway is another good one, too, because yeah. you got double citrus and half the sugar, yep. essentially. I love it. And yep. the maraschino liqueur doesn't really sweeten it that much. It's yeah. Kind of so not all tiki drinks have to be, like, super sugar bound. You know? No. So play, no. Definitely drier, for sure. No. Um, I made a couple, uh, I was on a, a kick a couple weeks ago where I was making Hemingway's with Ray and nephew. Oh my God. Proof, which is vicious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I sat and had a daiquiri not very long ago at the bar. It was yeah. a Hemingway. It's my favorite. I did the Floridita right before, which is basically a Hemingway, but without the grapefruit. Yeah. So. Yep. And something that uh, I just thought of because we're sitting here and uh, we can all see our back bar from where we're sitting, um, talking about just like the different styles of rum. Uh, one company who has really, I think, done a great job of expressing those different styles recently is Plantation because they yeah. have so many different bottles and expressions like they have Peru, Trinidad, Fiji, which is very like banana. The Fiji rum is great. Yeah. It's like Jamaican Super funk dirty. forward. Yeah. Um, but then they also have like their base, like three stars, which is their white, white rum. Uh, their dark rum as well. Um, so if you want to make one of the best flavored rums on the market. Oh, the pineapple rum. Their yeah. Pineapple yeah. Rum. That's like, wow. one, that's probably the only flavored liquor we have. That hasn't, there. where the flavor has not been added pre-distillation. It's actually been yeah. added during the fermentation process where they put pineapple, yeah. like core, the outside edge of the pineapple and all yeah. that into it while it's fermenting. So unlike say raspberry vodka, where it's right. been added post, it's actually made through the fermentation process, yeah. which I really adore. That's why I yeah. jumped very quickly on that statement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you want to see like some cool like expressions of different styles of rum, definitely seek out any bottle by plantation. And their stuff is really, really affordable. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. 
Yeah, I think their bottle of Plantation Dark as well, like 20, 25 bucks. For a liter. For a liter, yeah. Yeah, yeah so definitely check them out. Their Overproof, which is 138 proof, oh, it's so good. is, I think, less than 30 bucks for a liter. Yeah. Which God help you if you get too deep into that. Plantation <laughs> OFTD yeah. stands for old fashioned traditional dark, technically, but we all call it something else yes, that we we'll do. say off air if yeah. you want to know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, PM yeah. me for that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good stuff. Yeah, so it really throw is. Throw that into the, a daiquiri. Or... The distinction between uh, rum, navy rum, and overproof rum is only by 10% ABV, right? So it's oh, like 40 it? ABV for most rums as a standard between 50 and 60 for Navy strength rum, and then between 60 and above, I guess I should for say, overproof. for overproof rum. Yeah. Yeah. So famous overproofs are Ray and Nephew. Mm -hmm. uh, Hamilton makes a 151 that's very drinkable. Lemon Heart makes maybe the best 151, in my opinion. Trader Vicks. Uh, Trader Vicks makes a 151. The OFTD from Plantation is 138. And then for Navy rums, um, I mean, the two that I always kind of come back to are Smith & Cross and Pusser's uh, yep. Gunpowder yeah. Proof. Yeah. Man, a Pusser's daiquiri. Woo! That's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> it's sweet, but it would be sweet, but yeah. Yeah. I, well, I like to do like, I'll put like three quarters of the base Pusser's and mm -hmm. then like just kind of like mellow it out. Mellow it out with like some Appleton eight year. Okay. And then that's my, that. that's the daiquiri for me. You know what a split of Smith and Cross and Gunpowder daiquiri would be like? Punk rock. Yeah, yeah. It'd be great. <laughs> it'd be absolutely great. And we should mention, too, that, uh, uh, like I said, when this airs within the coming weeks, we'll be opening up the Rum Alley at the Rum Alley. Alley. That's yeah. right. So, uh, in our, our patio used to be outside in our little TD hut. We're taking that and kind of expanding on it in our alleyway seating that we had last year as well. It's going to be a real good time. We're going to be jamming tiki drinks. We're going to have slushy machines out there. Yeah. We're going to have more shirts like this. Going yep. rum, shirts. rum and tacos for everybody. Rum and tacos for everyone. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a good time. So. Happy season yeah. Mile bring your smiles. Bring your dogs. <laughs> Actually, do bring your dogs, please, because I will. Yeah, Courtney will be out there. It'll be like, Can please, I dogs. <laughs> bring the doges. <laughs> Did you just kill your zombie there? I, I told myself I was going to uh, finish the zombie through the show. Oh, okay. All right. So well, now I'm good. Hey, did the fair enough. So my zombie's done. I think we're done. We're done. I think now. we're done if your zombie's yeah. done. Yeah. yeah. So. Okay. So um, <laughs> thank you for joining us for the show. Uh, rum is something we could probably fill an entire season's worth of episodes with. So we will be revisiting rum um, again uh, from different angles, I'm sure. Uh, our next one is going to be in and around Mother's Day. And uh, Courtney's bringing a topic very close to her heart. It is whiskey and women. Yes. The ladies of the whiskey world. And there are so many more of us than you know. Yes. <laughs> right behind you. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> All right. Cheers, everybody. Thank you very much. Yeah, cheers, guys. Thanks.